This is the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome. You're listening to the Biblical Unitarian Podcast, the podcast that aims to start conversations about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. Thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Dustin Smith, and as always, I will be your host. It is widely known that the Jewish people were monotheist, and that they drew their monotheism from their sacred text of Scripture, the Hebrew Bible. Yahweh, the true God, is portrayed within the Hebrew Bible as a single person in tens of thousands of instances. The official creed of Israel, what is known as the Shema, declares that Yahweh our God is one person. Unfortunately, theologians and apologists all too eager to read their multipersonal Trinitarian understanding of God back into the text of Scripture search endlessly for some form of scriptural support for their claims among the overwhelming evidence of God being a single, undivided self. It is not uncommon among internet apologists to point to the commonly used noun in Hebrew for God, Elohim. Now, Elohim is plural in form, and these apologists often argue that this is an indicator that God is not one person, but more than one person, perhaps even the three persons required for the Trinity to work. However, Hebrew grammarians, which are academically trained specialists in the Hebrew language, argue that the plural form of God, the Hebrew noun Elohim, is to be regarded as a single person when it refers to Yahweh. And the plural reference is described as the plural of majesty. In this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast, we will introduce the grammatical concept of the plural of majesty in a way that non-Hebrew-speaking Bible students can understand. We will first explore how the plural form functions in Hebrew sentences and how we can know when Elohim indicates a single selfed God when it refers to Yahweh, the only true God. Second, we will look at what major Hebrew grammars have to say about this grammatical concept, the plural of majesty, and how the plural of majesty is defined by these specialists. And we need to assess whether the plural of majesty is still a widely recognized concept today. Lastly, we will look at an example of the plural of majesty displayed in the Old Testament, specifically in a passage that many apologists point to in order to argue that God is not Unitarian, but rather that God is multipersonal. Does the plural form of Elohim prove that God is more than one person 
and that I should retire this podcast indefinitely? Let's find out on this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Our first point today is the nature of Elohim and the plural of majesty. Now, as I've already mentioned, Elohim is the most common noun in Hebrew that is translated as God, the national deity of the Israelite people. Now, Elohim is the plural of the singular Eloha, which is also a Hebrew noun used to refer to Israel's God. Grammatically speaking, Elohim is plural in form, but singular in meaning when it refers to the Israelite God. We can verify that Elohim is singular in form when Elohim is governed by singular verbs, singular adjectives, singular independent pronouns, and singular pronominal suffices. So we see all of these points within Hebrew. Let me give you an example from the opening verse of Genesis, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. The New Revised Standard Version translates this as, In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth. And so we have the opening words, Bereshit, which means in the beginning. We have bara, which is the verb in a third masculine singular. And then we have the subject of the verb Elohim. So there we have Elohim, which is plural in form, but since it's governed by a singular verb, bara, which is third masculine singular, we know that the subject is singular. And thus, every single translation renders this as God created. Not gods in the plural, but God created because the singular verb governs Elohim. That's how we know that in this passage, Elohim refers to a single person, to one person. The opening verse of the Old Testament indicates that God is one person. We can also see that the earliest interpreters of Genesis 1-1 regarded God as a single person. The earliest interpreters would be the translators of Hebrew into the Septuagint, which is the earliest Greek version of the Hebrew Bible. So in the Septuagint, we have in our he, epiesen o theos, which is in the beginning, the God created, using the Greek verb pieo in the third person singular. That is, one person, the one God, did the act of making. We can also see how Elohim functions when it is governed by a singular verb later in Genesis, like in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, another well-known passage for Bible students. The NRSV translates Genesis 2, 7 as, Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. That's Genesis 2, 7. And so then we have, at the beginning, we have Yahweh Elohim, and we have the verb, which is Yatsar, Vayitzer, specifically in Hebrew. And this verb, from Yatsar, 
which means to form or to make or to create, is third masculine singular. This indicates that Yahweh Elohim, there again we have Elohim, which is plural in form, is defined as a single person. It is singular in meaning because it is governed by a singular Hebrew verb. And again, we can look at the earliest interpretation of this passage in the Septuagint, and we can see how Jewish interpreters understood the Hebrew and translated it. And we can see in the Greek, we have ke eplasen o theos. We have the one God who did the making there in a third-person singular Greek verb. So both in the Hebrew text and in the earliest Greek translation, we have the understanding that God is a single person, despite the fact that Elohim is plural in form. Now, what happens when the writer of Hebrew wants to demonstrate that Elohim, which is plural in form, does in fact refer to a plurality? How does that get exhibited within the Old Testament? Well, one example is when the plural gods or the false gods or the idols is described within the Old Testament. So let's take this example of the golden calf incident in Exodus 32. I'm going to read Exodus 32 and verse 1. This is an instance where Elohim is governed by a plural verb, and let's see how it is understood. So in Exodus 32 and verse 1, it says, When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered around Aaron and said to him, Come, make gods for us, who shall go before us. That's Exodus 32 and verse 1. So there, in the Hebrew text, we have Elohim, Asher, Ya, Laku, from the Hebrew verb halak, which means to walk or to go. So there, the verb for halak is actually in the plural. It's a plural verb, and the subject is Elohim, and that is why the New Revised Standard Version here translates the passage as God's. There, Elohim, being plural in form, when it's governed by a plural verb, then the way that it's translated is God's. Notice it's not God, a singular God that is composed of more than one person. No, when something is plural, you add an S to it. And so God becomes God's. And this, again, is how it was interpreted in the earliest Greek translation, the Septuagint, where we have Theus e pro porev sonte. So the verb from pro porevome, which means to go out before, we have the gods in the plural. So we're seeing there that when the Hebrew Bible wants to indicate that Elohim really is a plural, the way that it indicates that is by using plural verbs. But as we observed in Genesis 1.1 and Genesis 2.7 and in 10,000 other instances that I can demonstrate, we can see that a singular verb or a singular adjective or a singular pronominal suffix or a singular personal pronoun would indicate that Elohim refers to a single person, to one person, to the Unitarian God. So Elohim is either referring to 
a single God governed by singular verbs, or Elohim is genuinely plural, referring to multiple gods, and that occurs when it is governed by plural verbs. It doesn't refer to a single God who is plural, as if the one God is more than one person. That is simply not present in the Hebrew. Now this grammatical point is often called the plural of majesty. Others have referred to it as the royal we, wherein a king would speak in the first person plural, saying us, we, are, when it is clear that only one person, namely the king, is in review. Now the plural of majesty can even be observed in the human king's address to others that we can see in Second Temple Jewish literature like 1 Maccabees. So I'll give a couple of passages here out of 1 Maccabees to where the human king writes a letter and he speaks in the first person plural, demonstrating the widely held understanding of the plural of majesty with royal high-ranking kingly officials. So in 1 Maccabees chapter 10, starting in verse 18, we have a letter from King Alexander. It says, King Alexander to his brother Jonathan, greetings. We have heard about you, that you are a mighty warrior and worthy to be our friend. And so we have appointed you today to be the high priest of your nation. You are to be called the king's friend and you are to take our side and keep friendship with us. That's 1 Maccabees 10, verses 18 through 20. And then just a chapter later, we have another letter from King Demetrius. Notice how the plural of majesty functions in this letter. 1 Maccabees 11, starting in verse 32. King Demetrius to his father, Lasthenus, greetings. We have determined to do good to the nation of the Jews who are our friends and fulfill their obligations to us because of the goodwill they show towards us. We have confirmed as their possession both the territory of Judea and the three districts. That's 1 Maccabees 11 verses 32 through 34. So there's a lot of evidence to demonstrate that God, when it's defined with Elohim being plural in form, actually refers to a single person because of the Hebrew grammatical concept of the plural of majesty. And we've also demonstrated that the plural of majesty was understood in Second Temple Jewish writings, and it could be employed even to a king. A king could speak as one person, but use first-person plural pronouns, but there's no confusion as if the king was more than one person or if the king was three persons within the one king that was never even considered. So let's move on to our second point. Point number two today is checking in with Hebrew grammars regarding the plural of majesty. So this is where we're going to get a little bit technical. Hopefully you haven't consider that we've been super technical up to this point. The most prolific Hebrew grammar that has stood the test of time is Gesenius's Hebrew grammar. 
standing at over 600 pages in the printed edition that I own. Within Gassinius's grammar, he has a large section that deals with the various uses of the plural form, in which the plural of majesty is given a lengthy exposition. Not a couple of words, mind you, pages and pages. In regard to the plural of majesty, which Gassinius calls the plural of excellence, he states, quote, it is thus closely related to the plural of amplification, which is mostly found in poetry. So, especially Elohim, which the grammar states should be, quote, distinguished from the numerical plural gods. So there, the Gassinius grammar indicates that the plural of majesty, especially in regard to Elohim, is distinguished from the actual plural gods, one being Elohim that is plural in form but singular in meaning when it refers to the true God, and that is something different from plural gods. After a short discussion on why it is highly improbable that Elohim's plural form is a remnant of supposed earlier polytheistic views, Gassinius further comments on the plural of majesty, quote, that the language has entirely rejected the idea of numerical plurality in Elohim, whenever it denotes one God, is proved especially by its being almost invariably joined with a singular attribute, end quote. Now, an example is given by the grammar from Psalm 7 and verse 10 in Hebrew, which is 7 verse 9 in your English translation, where Elohim is paired with a singular adjective, and therefore it is translated as O righteous God, which comes from the Hebrew Elohim Sadiq. Sadiq there is the singular adjective demonstrating righteous. And since it's paired with Elohim being plural in form, the singular adjective indicates that it refers to a single person, the one righteous God who is a single person. Now, some may try to reject the arguments of Gesenius's Hebrew grammar by suggesting that it is old and dated. So I want to make sure that we're able to listen to the voices of some more modern Hebrew grammars. Sao's Hebrew grammar, that is spelled S-E-O-W, is entitled A Grammar for Biblical Hebrew. And this grammar is still regularly used in seminaries and divinity schools today. I know for a fact that it was considered for my current institution's introductory Hebrew course during this fall semester as the primary textbook. Sal's Hebrew grammar makes multiple mentions of the plural of majesty. When defining Elohim, Dr. Sal states, quote, as a proper name, or when referring to Israel's God, it is treated as a singular, end quote. 
in a footnote on Elohim, Sal rightly notes that, quote, the form of the noun is plural, but the referent is singular. This is sometimes called plural of majesty, end quote. In a later section in Sal's Hebrew grammar, where syntax is discussed in regard to verbs agreeing with their nouns, another reference to the plural of majesty is made. Sal writes, quote, Nouns that occur in plural of majesty, and Elohim is listed among the examples given, take the singular verb, end quote. Sal goes on to use Genesis 1 verse 1, the example I began with at the opening of this episode, as an example of Elohim, a noun representing the plural of majesty. Now I'd like to look at one further Hebrew grammar, this one published by the Society of Biblical Literature. Arthur Walker Jones wrote the grammar Hebrew for Biblical Interpretation. This is one of the texts that I used in graduate school, and I also used it when teaching Hebrew to college undergraduates. In the chapter where Walker Jones introduces nouns, he notes that, quote, one of the most striking differences between Hebrew and English is the use of the plural of honor, or majesty, end quote. Then he lists, you guessed it, Elohim as the first example of the plural of majesty, or the plural of honor, as he initially calls it. My point in looking at all of these Hebrew grammars is to demonstrate that introductory Hebrew students would be introduced to the concept of the plural of majesty from a very early point in their interaction with the language by simply reading their textbook. It is not a controversial point. In fact, the plural of majesty seems to be discussed in all major Hebrew grammars. And as we're going to observe here in a few minutes, the modern commentaries do not dispute this Hebrew grammatical point. The most common noun used to describe the Israelite God is Elohim, and this noun, while plural in form, is singular in meaning when referencing Yahweh. This means that God is a single person, which has been the primary biblical Unitarian argument all along. None of these Hebrew grammars point to Elohim as an argument for plurality in the Israelite God, as if God is more than one person, perhaps even three distinct persons. No Hebrew grammar makes this argument. However, Apologists continue to cite examples from the Hebrew Bible where the plural of majesty is manifested in order to attempt to prove that God is really multipersonal rather than being a single person. So I'd like to end this episode by looking at one of these examples, and we can look at more examples in subsequent episodes. This leads us to our third point, 
which is an example of the plural of majesty. We're going to draw today's example from the New Revised Standard Version of Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 1. Ecclesiastes 12.1 says, Remember your Creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come, and the years draw near, when you will say, I have no pleasure in them. That's Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 1. So we have this word creator, which is actually a participle from the Hebrew verb bara. So we have bo-re-ka, which is the participle, and then the pronominal suffix for your. The one who is making you would be a roughly literal translation. So the word for creator there comes from a verb, a participle. However, this participle, as these apologists like to openly point out, is in the plural. We have a plural participle here translated as a singular creator. Now, was this understood as a reference to multiple creators, plural creators? Perhaps the Father and the Son creating? Again, we can find some verification in the earliest translation, which is the Septuagint. And the Septuagint has two ktisantos, which is the one creating, the singular person creating, using the verb in third person singular with a singular Greek definite article. So the earliest Greek translation, translated by Jewish people, understood this reference to the plural participle used of God creating as a reference to a single person, not multiple persons. Now we can look at the commentaries of Ecclesiastes and to see, do they point this out? Do they reference it? And what do they make of this particular point? Because it is a noteworthy point. So, in no particular order, I'm just going to look at some modern commentaries on Ecclesiastes. The Continental Commentary by Norbert Lofink says, quote, The word is in the plural, surely as a plural of majesty, end quote. Lofink says that on page 139. So he sees the reference to God being described as the creator in a plural form as a plural of majesty, which means that it's plural in form, but it is singular in meaning. Moving on, Roland Murphy's commentary in the Word Biblical Commentary on Ecclesiastes says, quote, The form of your creator is plural. And he goes on and says, It can be understood as a plural of majesty or even explained as a singular. And then he notes that the ancient versions have the singular, end quote. Dr. Murphy has that on page 113. Again, identifying that the plural of majesty is there in the text with the reference to the creator being plural, but he points out that it could be explained as a singular and that the ancient versions understand it as the singular. 
One last commentary, the Hermeneia commentary on Ecclesiastes by Thomas Kruger says, quote, In discussing the Hebrew, Kruger says that it, quote, could be interpreted, if need be, as an orthographic variant of the singular form, or as a royal plural, analogous to Elohim. One could read, with some manuscripts and the versions, the singular, Boreka, end quote. Kruger goes on to note that, quote, the versions clearly read your creator, end quote. Other serious commentaries, the Anchor Bible Commentary, the JPS Commentary, the New Interpreter's Bible Commentary, translate it as a single creator. None of them argue for plural creators. I also checked dozens of English translations of Ecclesiastes, and none of them say plural creators. They all say a singular creator. Of course, we looked at the earliest translation of Ecclesiastes 12 verse 1 in the Septuagint, and it has the singular creator, both with the singular verb and the corresponding singular pronoun. Furthermore, Gesenius's Hebrew grammar cites this passage, Ecclesiastes 12 verse 1, in its discussion of the plural of majesty, arguing that it has the reference to a single person. So, in conclusion, we have observed that the plural of majesty is a grammatical term in the Hebrew language indicating the plural form of the commonly used noun for God. It indicates that while Elohim is plural in form, it is singular in meaning when it refers to Yahweh. We first noted that Elohim is regularly paired with singular verbs, singular adjectives, singular pronouns, and singular pronominal suffixes. These indicate that a single person is the subject, not two or three persons. We also noted that when Elohim is truly plural, it references multiple gods, and it is always, in those cases, translated in the plural. In these cases, Elohim is paired with a plural verb. We also saw that the royal we of the plural of majesty was used in a way in which a single human king could write letters within the Second Temple Jewish period as the king would speak in the first person plural when it was clear that only one person was speaking. Second, we looked into three major Hebrew grammars to see how the plural of majesty is introduced, discussed, and regarded as a non-disputed point. In other words, grammarians and specialists on biblical Hebrew agree that the plural form of Elohim is an example of the plural of majesty when it regards the Israelite God. Lastly, we looked at how the plural of majesty comes to be expressed in the Hebrew Bible by looking at Ecclesiastes 12 verse 1. 
This passage encourages the reader to remember your Creator. But the verb is plural. Since the plural of majesty is an undisputed grammatical point of Hebrew, every modern English translation, multiple critical commentaries, and even Gesenius's Hebrew grammar all translate the verb as a single person creating, rather than multiple creators. Ecclesiastes 12.1 is one of the many examples that demonstrates that the plural of majesty was an understood point for the Hebrew people, who regarded their God to be full of excellence and full of majesty, and that this fullness of majesty was expressed in plural forms on occasion without suggesting that God was anything more than a single person. There is no multipersonal God in the Hebrew Bible. Yahweh is one, and he is the Father alone. The grammatical point of the plural of majesty further demonstrates the biblical Unitarian doctrine within the Hebrew Bible, what Christians call the Old Testament. Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Join us next week as we continue to explore examples of the plural of majesty within the Old Testament as we seek to better understand the true God revealed within the sacred text. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us as we promote the sound truths about the oneness and unity of God and the humanity of Jesus. You can support the podcast for absolutely free by sharing your favorite episodes with your friends, by rating and writing a review of the podcast on iTunes. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you may check out the episode's description for a link to PayPal. Thank you so much to Dustin Williams for post-production and for editing the Biblical Unitarian podcast. But I am Dustin Smith. And until next time, you folks, take care and be safe.